I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Migrating legacy applications to modern technologies in the cloud computing space can be done in different stages. Edith Levine, founder and CEO of Solo, described how legacy applications can leverage a hybrid architecture when migrating to the cloud. We talked about migrating a monolithic application to other architectures like microservices and serverless. Edith also explained software tools that can simplify the migration process. This show is brought to you by Sudashirt, an online store featuring apparel designed by developers for developers. Sudashirt features subtle designs to show your love for technology. Check it out by going to sudoshirt.com. That's S-U-D-O shirt.com. Thank you. Levine, founder and CEO of Solo, is joining us today. Edith, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Today, we're going to talk about numerous topics that revolve around this notion of the digital transformation, cloud computing, and modern technologies. First, I want to begin by understanding what does it mean for a company to go through a digital transformation in the context of the particular problems that you're focused on right now? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, the problem that I see in the organization today is that most of them using a, what called log legacy application. This is the application that they wrote, and, uh, you know, long time ago, eight years ago, and this is the main business logic application, and they're using uh, kind of like a legacy tools, you know, maybe they will use something like Puppet or Chef or Ansible to deploy them, maybe Terraform. And then they will use their own kind of like tooling for, uh, you know, monitor them or something like APM tooling. They will use something to kind of like make sure that the application uh, logs is stream well something like, you know, Splunk and so on. But in the end of the day, the application is a legacy application, kind of like reading in a old style way, we can call it. But most of them are very interested in, you know, what's going on in this ecosystem. And they going to conference and they see all this new, you know, new movement of microservices and maybe serverless. And they're very, very interested in kind of like adopting it. But there is a huge gap from what they're running in the infrastructure and how they can actually get to a point that they're leveraging those new technology. This is what I call digital transformation. They really want to go there, but there is a huge gap. And this is exactly what we're trying to solve. We're trying to solve how those companies that are going to hear, you know, KubeCon, a keynote about multi-serverless, when they're actually not even running one serverless, I wanted to give them the ability to actually adopt serverless that they will be able then to take an interest of how to move to a multi-cloud serverless, if it makes any sense. Yes, we're actually going to talk more about the process of getting there in just a bit. I want to understand a little more, for example, what are the big things that companies that are still mostly legacy missing out on? What would you say are the big advantages that they can get if they move to these more modern 
technologies? Yeah, so I think that mainly one of the things that uh, those enterprises will get is scale, mainly scale, so they will be able to scale their application to reply more requests. That's one of the things. The second thing is the easiness of actually extend and add feature to those applications. So to actually kind of like add a new feature for a monolithic application, it's quite a lot of work. You need to, first of all, learn a monolithic application, which is by itself probably pretty complicated. And then you need to add the code, then you need to test it and regression test it, and then you would need to de- redeploy a monolithic application. That's definitely, that usually in a big organization means that there is a lot of people involved, including the security people, including the operation guys, including the database guys, and they all need to try to figure out how to actually make it work, even if the small the, the change is pretty simple. You just want to, for instance, to represent in your application another column or from the database. What you know, what microservices can give you in that point is that it's just the way the application is built because it's all it's not like tightly coupled. It's just going to be easier for you to scale the relevant piece and not need to redeploy all the application, but only the piece that you change. So that's another thing that uh, will be better. So, so I will say scale and basically the agility are the biggest point. Yes, and just to recap, by agility, you mean the ability to build and release features faster. You touched on a point just now that I want to talk more about. Once you have this legacy application, you don't immediately just convert to all these new technologies. There are various steps in between. When I was researching for this interview and looking at what your company is doing, I see that there's this step where the app architecture, the architecture of the application can be hybrid. Can you explain what this means? Yes. So maybe I should go a little bit further and basically explain what is the customer option in that case if they are interested in this movement. If they're interested to do this movement, right now they have a few options. Option number two, and a lot of them are doing it, it's basically not to move. Unfortunately, it's too hard. They will try, they will fail, and I'm just going to stick with the monolithic application because that's working. Why should change? That's not a good solution because if one of their competitors in the market did move, the agility will win here, right? It will be able to introduce a new feature to their application much faster. Therefore, you know, the customer will lose the, you know, basically the enterprise will lose the customer. The other option is to basically do what a lot of customers are doing, which is basically create a new team in the organization. That the job of this team is basically to build all the new, what's called the, the greenfield application, all the applications that are new. And there is no like tightness to an old application. And then they will build it and this will be great. The only problem with that is that it didn't solve the problem, right? You still have your monolithic application running out there from the old team who managed that. Exactly the same, nothing changed. And the only thing that you just created is a supportive application, but the business logic is still running on the monolithic application. Another thing that you just created is basically an organization problem when the new team doesn't want the old team to succeed. So that's not a good solution. The third solution that companies doing quite a lot is what's called the Big Bang. They're basically taking the monolithic application and they're basically rewriting every business logic application that exists, either in microservices or serverless. The problem with that is that, you know, it will take a long time, right? To change, to take logic of a very mature old application and try to replicate it to microservices, it's just taking a lot of time. And it's usually, you know, intuitive specifically because... 
you know, you need to learn how to write microservices. The organization need to, uh, need to learn how to do this. So that will take a long time. And all this time, you basically didn't give the customer any new feature. So that's, again, not a great solution because it's just, you're going to lose the market anyway. So the question is, what is the right way? And I think that the best way is to see a success story. And success story that I know is success stories like uh, Twitter or Lyft, for instance, where they actually had a monolithic application and they managed to transport into uh, microservices. And the way they did it, it's actually they build the proxy. And this proxy is called Envoy, <laughs> right? And they build it exactly for that to kind of like take the monolithic application and extend it. Have the ability to actually add feature for microservices and serverless to the monolithic application and that it will look like one big application. And then that way, when you have time, you can start, you know, stretching the, the information from the monolithic application and rewrite it in microservices if you need it. So that's basically, in my opinion, the best way to do that. And that scenario, it's basically creating this, what I call hybrid application, which is the ability to run an application that's built from different type of architecture, microservices, serverless, and monolithic together. Yes, and you mentioned the monolithic architecture quite a few times and how companies are moving away from it. For those that are not very familiar with it, can you give an overview of what a monolithic application means? Okay, so let me maybe explain what is the difference between microservice and monolithic. Monolithic application, it basically means that everything is in one binary. So you have a one big application that you have inside maybe internally services that have a separation of concern, but in the end of the day, it's all the way they communicate it through themselves is, is, is one binary. Versus microservices, that is the ability to take those microservices, you know, this little functionality inside your application and basically make them communicate it through a network. By doing this and doing it distributed, you can, when you want to scale, you don't have to scale all the binary, all the applications. So let's say that you have in your application whatever. Let's say that you have a UI. In the monolithic application, you have maybe a different functionality, but they're all kind of like meshed together. They're very spaghetti kind of like style, which means that if you want right now to scale only one individual, you have to scale all the application, which is make it very, very complicated. In microservices, you will be able to basically take, you know, because all those a separation of concern are separated and communicate through the network, you can actually take one type of functionality and only scale that. Uh, so that make all the scaling and also, you know, adding feature to a specific function much easier because you're basically less tied to the other functionality of the all-around application, if it makes sense. Is it more expensive if you scale the whole application versus just a particular component of the application? Yeah, it's first of all, it is more expensive, but besides the fact that it's more expensive, it's also less comfortable because if you think about monolithic application, usually they're running on VM. Usually, you know, it's not like container when you can actually just, you know, spin up one very easily. And deploying monolithic application, it's a big problem. It's not something that it's simple as much as, you know, a container. Therefore, you know, when you're doing it, when something is actually working, you usually don't touch it. You don't want to touch it. You want to, you know, it's the difference between, you know, people talked about it before, but it's the difference between treating one application as a pet, right? That it's yours and you're taking care of it and you really need to make sure that it's alive. To something like a microservice that you can less care, it doesn't really matter, even if it will die because it's stateless, it doesn't matter, it will come back. 
That's another very important, uh, I think, architectural design. The microservices, usually you're making them immutable and stateless. Versus in the monolithic application, a lot of the time you have state in memory, which means that, you know, it's really problematic if this application will go down. In addition to something being stateless, what are the characteristics of something that can be migrated to a microservice? For example, if we have this monolithic app, what can we look for to determine, oh, we can extract this as a microservice? So I think that the thing that will be the easiest way to do it is if you look at something that is not uh, coupled with some other functionality, right? I mean, basically, it's to do a right microservices architecture, it means that you need to make sure that when you're doing a service, the only information that will be in the service, the only functionality that will be in the service is related to what this service should know how to do. There shouldn't be any other information for it. I think that one of the problems to do that is that mainly when you're trying to untile a monolithic application, it's basically hard because there is a lot of, you know, tangle between different services, different components in the monolithic application. And that's what makes this migration pretty hard. Can one example of this be the login functionality? If you have this app and you need a login, could that be its own microservice? Yeah, so everything in the application could be its own microservices. It would be very useful if you would be able to do that. Again, if in the monolithic application, there is, you know, so it's not tied to something else. And login, it's a good example. You can add a new functionality if you want, whatever. So, you know, a credit card can be something that can be easily like, you know, the billing process can be something that can be microservices. But it's all tied to how your application looks and, you know, how you build it and how abstract and designed well you design it when you build it. If you design it really, really well, it's probably that you can, you know, easier abstract microservices from it. The three architectures you mentioned have been monolithic microservices, and the other one you mentioned is serverless. Can you give an example of what serverless is? Yeah, so basically serverless is the ability to have a call, an API call or something like that, that will spin a piece of function, and function is called, right? So basically, when you're talking about, at least when I'm talking about serverless in that context, I'm talking about function as a service, which is the ability to run a function whenever I want on invocation, invoke a function. This function, it's kind of like stand along. It's stateless and it's basically, you know, it's doing something that you want to do. Serverless itself is basically started by AWS. And I think that the reason they announced a, a Lambda in their point is that because it will be very, you know, it makes a lot of sense as what call a glue code in the cloud. So in a cloud, when you have a lot, a lot of services, for AWS, for instance, it makes a lot of sense to do something like Lambda because it's tied into all those services and be able to glue the services together by running a very small piece of code. So this is basically the function. So you can put something in S3, and then a function will call that will do something, take it and translate it to something else, or go and move it to a different services and so on. So in my opinion, in my, my personal opinion, serverless is making a lot more sense in the cloud. What are some of the reasons why we would choose serverless? So again, and this is my opinion. In my opinion, when someone is going to run in the cloud and the only thing that they need to do is something very, very kind of like isolated, which is use some, some service that the cloud is offering. 
and then based on this event, start, you know, do something instead of spinning up a VM or spinning a microservice, it just could be much easier to tell AWS every time that these things, I want you to run this piece of code. That means that it's basically abstracted the necessary to know what is container, how it's implemented, what is VM, how is that running, dependency, all of this stuff. It's something that is abstract from you. So just the easiness of using it. So if the only thing that you need is something pretty simple and not complicated, and Lambda can do it, I will totally recommend using that. And with this, you don't really have to worry about the infrastructure portion of it, right? Like you said, you don't have to think, oh, I, this needs to be in a VM or I need to put it in a container. You just give the function and everything else is handled. Exactly. It's abstract from you. You basically, you don't need to know how it's run. You just need to know when it will run and to make sure that it's running. So basically there is not a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of work as an engineer for you to do here, which that's why very attractive to developer, right? Correct. Solo is a company that's helping organizations to go from this old legacy traditional approaches to more modern technologies, which we've been talking about. Can you explain in more detail what Solo is doing. Yes, so I will say, Solo is doing a little bit more than just uh, migration from monolithic to Microsoft to serverless. So let me a little bit tell you about the company. So I started Solo to close this gap that we talked about it between this innovative technology all the way to innovation of technology and bring them all the way to the enterprise. But there is different stage of the journey for each enterprise. There is enterprise that actually in that scenario actually does want to just run microservices and serverless. And I wanted to adopt that. That's the first tool that we created called Glue. That basically its job is to actually help migrate from monolithic to Microsoft to serverless in the easiest way. But there is customer that already migrate and they're already in microservices. And then the question, what we can offer them? And those enterprise usually are very curious about service mesh, as me. And therefore, we created Superglue. And Superglue, it's basically an orchestrator for a service mesh. So today when enterprise, uh, you know, are very, you know, they already have microservice and they're very interesting to use service mesh, they basically need to start figuring out which one they want to choose because there's quite a lot of options out there. So there is STO and there is Linkerd and there is Console Connect. And then even if they're running on AWS, they might want to use something like AppMesh. And what they're doing usually in that point, they're basically taking a team to explore. They're starting trying to use STO, then they're trying to use something else. And that's taking a lot of time and it's very complicated because Service Mesh is a complicated technology. What we did with Superglue, when we tried to figure out how we can help, we understood that Service Mesh is going to happen. And there's definitely no need for us to build one because there's quite a lot that already built. What we do need to do is to help adopt that. So what we did, we basically created Superglue, which is basically an abstraction layer. It's basically an API for service mesh. So, and it's that simple API, which means that everybody can do it. So you can do with Superglue something as simple as, you know, Superglue install STL in namespace edit, and it will install you that in namespace edit in, in Kubernetes. Then you can do the same thing with console connect, and that's just going to work. And then you can do the same thing with Linkerd, it's just going to work. So that's the first thing, installation. Then what we did, everything that you're basically doing today with YAML file, you know, like you're taking code and you're basically doing in YAML file and you're doing kube apply, like for instance, adding observability to your service mesh. 
what we did, we basically automated this place. So the API are so simple as toggle. You should tell me if you want observability or not. And if you do, I'm going to go ahead and do all these things behind the scene. The tendon, you know, the other thing is like, you know, you can take an advantage, for instance, for for a, for a retries, right? When you wanted to actually retry to the in-service mesh like STO, you need to actually create four different objects until you're defining your services. And then you can actually say how much retry you want. We basically upside down it. So basically our APIs is as simple as say, oh, I want it in superglue. I want in STO for service one retry. And we're going to go and create all these four objects for you. So basically what we did is we come with a unified API, that simple API for service mesh. And we just basically abstract it that way that you can use whatever service mesh you want. So you just need to narrow one API. But the vision is a little bit bigger than that. And the vision is more like the Mesos vision, which is you have a lot of little computer and you need to treat it as one big computer. So we think that that's what will happen with mesh because we believe that there are going to be more than one mesh in your organization. You know, specifically right now, because if you're running on AWS, maybe you want to use app mesh. It's for free. But then if you're using on-prem, you can't use app mesh. So you need somehow to tie them together. And that's the second thing that Superglue is doing, which is basically grouping those meshes together and creating a flat networking between them. And that way you can treat them as one big mesh. And the last thing is that the thing that we're building on top of it. This is the last thing in our journey, which is basically we believe that if we just help you to abstract the network with glue and superglue, you basically right now abstract the network for everything that's coming from north, south, and also from east, west. And therefore, we can actually take advantage of it and leverage that by actually building new tooling on it. So we build a tool called Squash that help you debugging your application. We build a tool that you that we're going to release very soon called GlueShot, which is a chaos engineering on top of it, and so on. Because if you abstract the network, you can take a lot of advantage of it. I see. Just one quick thing. You mentioned the service mesh starts coming into play after a company has migrated to microservices. They have all the services. Can you... Explain some of the functionality that you get by using a service mesh. Oh, yeah, sure. Sorry. So once you actually have a cluster, and let's say in Kubernetes, and you have an application that's running on this cluster, there's, then this, the problem is actually starting. There's a very nice tweet that someone wrote that they convert from monolithic to microservices right now. And now every outreach, it's like a murder mystery, right? It's really, really hard to figure out what's going on inside. You don't have the same visibility. For instance, if you had before that monolithic application and you wanted to debug it, you could have done it as easy as just attach a debugger. But when you're actually running, you know, right now microservices, it means that the state of the application is actually spread all around. So it's really hard to understand what's really happening there. It's just really, really hard. Service mesh itself, the way they thought of solving it, which I think is pretty brilliant, is they say, okay, so this is, you're right, you can't see much. And by the way, it's also very hard to secure this microservice application because everything should be outcoded in your application. And then also for routing, communication cross microservices, you need to put it in your application. And they came with the idea of basically abstract that from the application. And the way to abstract that from the application is by actually putting one microservices, they're calling sidecar, one proxy next to any microservices that you have. So you have, you know, in your pod, you have a microservices and they're putting next to it something called Sidecar, which is a, basically a proxy. 
And then what they're doing is they're tricking the application, the microservices, to talk only to this proxy. So every in and out traffic have to go through this proxy. So now imagine that you have a lot of microservice applications, and to a lot of them you're putting proxy. So basically now if you basically put a sidecar next to each microservices and then the communication to those microservices through the proxies, you can actually proxy something that you can configure. You can configure the communication. You can say, this guy is allowed to talk to these microservices or not, or I want it to talk or not. You can actually um, abstract that way the observability because you can make sure that every time that the traffic is going, you pipe it to some observability like uh, Prometheus to see what's going on. It was a success or a failure. You can actually um, take the logging and send them to there. And that way, basically, you can abstract the functionality of the observability, the security, and the traffic from your application microservices to the proxy. And I think that's really, really useful. So that's what Service Mesh is all about. Once we're putting a lot of sidecars or proxy next to your application and make them talk, now everything can be easily changed without needing to change the code of the microservices itself. So in a sense, is it facilitating the communication between the microservices? Yes, yes. It's abstracting the network. And once it abstracts the network, now you can basically on the piece of everything that's moving across those microservices. So you can detect latency between microservices because you basically can see everything that happened on this, you know, on the network very easily. What were some of your previous experiences that led to creating Solo and working in this space where you're making super easier APIs to manage all this and build more modern applications? So actually, my experience, you know, I worked in a startup most of my life and I was always in the innovation. So I, you know, I just moved, right? I, I build microservices for years now. So I did specifically, personally, didn't have this experience, but I worked with a lot of people and a lot of organization in my life that did have monolithic application. And it took me a lot of time to understand that they cannot adopt my technology. But when I did, it was very important to me to go and listen to them and see what is their problem and how to help them migrate and adopt. Exactly, because a lot of the things that you mentioned is what I'm seeing now is a lot of managing this YAML configuration files and how things are deployed with what technologies and the in-house tooling. So what do you think are, you know, overall areas of improvement that you've seen or that you're working on in this cloud computing space? Yeah. So, I mean, as I said, with Superglue, seriously, like the way we're building Superglue, we're going, we're doing this basically research, right, of someone want to run STO in production. What does it mean? And then every time that we see, you know, in order to do that, we need to actually, you know, uh, read a tutorial or readme file that telling me to do this, put this one, change this, do this. We're just automating all this process. Because I think this is a hard process that maybe it's very easy for someone like, you know, my engineer to do, but it could be more complicated for someone who never worked with microservices, for instance. So what we're doing, we just automated that. It's seriously like that. It's like we see that people say, take this thing, put in the YAML, do kube apply, not go, change the security, don't this. We're just saying, okay, that's a good reason for us to, you know, that means that we need to actually automate that. And then we're doing that. So that's all about like super glue. If you think about what it is, it's a very simple abstraction. But 
the reason we're doing it is because we believe that it's just going to help adoption to be very, very easy. Exactly. And also because since all, this space is still very new, there are not a lot of experts. And then this is more about democratizing the technology and enabling you know, people just onboarding with this to, to get pretty far with tools like this, I think. And also, I agree with you. And also another thing that I, I believe that um, if you're looking at uh, those enterprises that are actually trying to adopt it right now, one of the things that they are scared and was scared before, we saw that before, is to bet on the wrong technology. What if, you know, they will bet on Mesos where they should have bet on Kubernetes, right? That's a problem because they're spending a lot of money and more than money, they're actually making all the team to know that, all the infrastructure. And again, to change stuff, big organization is really, really complicated. So basically one of the things that I wanted to make sure that they are not that nervous about it is the fact that it's okay if they will choose STO and eventually something else will win. That's not my personal opinion. I think that STO will win, but, you know, that's okay. They can choose something else because by actually learning this abstraction API, they will be always able to move and adjust without changing anything that they're doing on top of it. Exactly. Yes, and that's definitely something that I've seen throughout this cloud computing space. Right. And, and you also look at this ecosystem. It's actually interesting, right? I mean, people are very busy and kind of like building, you know, another service mesh. Oh, there is STO. It's not enough. Let's do console connect. And by the way, why should we only yeah. do this if we can actually fix Linkerd? And then, you know, AppMesh will do something new. And then there is all the API gateway that are pretty panics in that, right? They are panicking because they don't know what to do. Something like Kong, for instance. So they are like, oh, no, yeah, we are mesh right now. No, they are not. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you know, so everybody suddenly is a mesh. So I think that it's very, very confusing the enterprise. And, you know, but how they need to know, you know, it's like it's really our technology. And to start right now exploring all of them and trying to figure out who is saying the truth and who is not and, you know, what is just marketing and what is the real thing. It's very complicated. So I think that we can help. And I think that we can help by actually just make it simple and make them, you know, the warriors go away because it doesn't matter when we will support them all. Exactly. Well, Edith, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you about cloud computing and legacy applications and so on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.